we as veterans have a hard time transitioning at times, I think, just because we think it has to be so different when we go into uh, corporate America. This is the Mentors for Military podcast. Hey everybody, this is Robert, and on this episode, we have uh, Eric Martin, and Eric was someone that was introduced to me by uh, Kat Kalin. We quickly jumped on a telephone call meeting to kind of get to know one another, and I think, Eric, it was supposed to last about 30 minutes, and at the end of this call, I think we had logged in about three hours on this telephone call worth of conversation, so we started chasing down so many different rabbit holes that took us into so many different directions, but it's good to have you on the show, brother. Hey, it's great to be here, Robert. I appreciate it. Yeah, man. We're joined by uh, Scott Johnson. Everybody knows uh, Scott over there in the UK. Uh, Eric, you often do video blogs on LinkedIn, and I know that you have a lot of people that follow you there, but some of the people that might be listening to this haven't had a chance to see you out there. So, of course, if you go out and you look at uh, Eric Martin and uh, find him out there, everyone so often, I don't know how frequently you do it, if it's every so many days or what, but you put up a video blog about something that's going on in your life. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing really like any recipe or any sort of frequency that I have scheduled. Uh, it's just stuff that kind of comes to mind. I started this uh, this little bit called Ruck Thoughts back in, I think, late December, early January. And it, it honestly just kind of came to me in regards to just things that I think about and have thought about, like when I've been walking in the wood lines, whether it be during lay nav courses or out on actual patrols and stuff. And I just figured this is my way to kind of give back to either the community and or help us as uh, special forces guys be able to translate our stuff as to how it, it works in corporate world as I'm transitioning. So many of that stuff is relatable, and I think that's why you get so many different comments that are on there, because whether it's somebody that's in the service or somebody out in the private sector and somebody that's never even served or associated with the military, um, you, got, you have some really good topics that are on there. Yeah, it's it's been fun. It's it's cool to see the commentary that I get uh, from other people that are completely random. Uh, it's been nice to see that you know you don't. Have, I haven't dealt too much with uh, people either being like negative or uh, trolling as as it sometimes gets known as. It's been pretty interesting to see like sometimes when uh, people do interact, they even have something that I can kind of spawn off of like for a next topic. Well, it's good that you don't have anybody trolling you or coming uh, coming at you just yet or anything. That's always good. You know, we've talked about a lot within the podcast, that different shows and such, about how, although as veterans, we, we love to, to meet one another and get a chance to talk about our background and such, but uh, we definitely are known to eat one another on occasion as well. That's definitely true. I mean, I've seen that in a few of the uh, pages that I've been on in uh, Facebook, and I was like, man, we, we do uh, kind of kind of have a, a little bit of a rough time and or are pretty judgmental at times just because we want to get that whole the, the whole uh, last hard class thing is always a, a fun take on stuff you know one of the the video blogs i reached out to you on because i was like oh my god this is like the perfect topic and and you actually started off and you went down a different direction but you started off with a saying that you guys have which is two is one and one is none and we'll get into that in just a minute but you know after hearing that 
I said, all right, this is this is a good topic. I think it goes into so many different avenues within, you know, the private sector, like we were just talking about, and some of the topics that you already do. Uh, whether it's uh, somebody making a transition, whether somebody currently on active duty, and the strategy or plan that they might be making. So it it might be really helpful for you to kind of describe for those who might not be familiar with it, because I have never heard that term. Describe a little bit about this saying and what it means, and how you guys came about it. Uh, so as a young eighteen. 18- Chuck, uh, in the uh, Q course, one of the things that we were taught was two is one and one is none in regards to our initiating systems. So when we're setting up our charges for whether it be blowing up a door or blowing up uh, EOD types of materials, any duds or whatever that we had run across on uh, operations, we always had set up uh, at least two initiating systems. So that way, in the event that you know one of the M81s doesn't work or you know something on the uh, timing system's messed up, there's still a second ability for the uh, charge to go off or you know to take care of knocking out what we were going to do. And then for me, that was a pretty easy translate to you know some of the things that we do even on an operation. You know, typically as a uh, Green Beret, I've carried you know, anywhere from two to three weapons at a time. If I was the uh, door breacher, I typically had, you know, either like a shorty Mossberg, then my rifle and then my pistol. And then, you know, sometimes if I was like the machine gunner, uh, you know, obviously you've got that as your primary, your M4 becomes your secondary, and then you've got a uh, pistol as your tertiary. So then as I started looking at that and looking at those things, as far as, you know, what we do in the military, I started thinking about, you know, Hey, the, you know, it just goes into like courses of action as far as contingency plans. I mean, that's a pretty easy one to make the uh, connection to, you know, it, in the event that, especially as I'm transitioning, you know, I've got to set up different applications and I've got to be ready for different interviews because, you know, I can't necessarily put my eggs all in one basket. No, no doubt. And I think you're absolutely right. Transition is one of those things where this definitely comes into play, but also in businesses. I mean, a lot of people don't think about the whether it's you're an entrepreneur or you're actually within a business, there's always the risk mitigation. What are you go, uh, going to do from a, uh, a backup plan and contingency as a small business in case it's a certain type of season like hurricane season or bad storms and uh, in the event of fires or what are the steps that you do to ensure that your your resources are quickly available and, and deployed if needed and start establishing those roles and responsibilities as to who's going to do what. Uh, it'll make it easier as you start going through it. So there's so many different aspects of this. And and what you were describing, too, goes into even other aspects of the military outside of even engineers, and that is that that rally point and that second rally point. If the first one, the primary fails, where are we going to go next? What's the plan if you get to the rally point and nobody's there? You know, I mean, you always had a strategy that came down to it to make sure that you planned out everything very well. Yep. And, and then uh, it was funny because a lot of people on the blog also started pu- putting in like the whole pace plan stuff, which is an easy one as well to apply in the situation. And and it essentially translate as, you know, that primary alternate contingency emergency plan as far as, you know, what am, what am I going to do in the event that this fails? OK, if this fails, where do I go? And I mean, I'm sure CEOs and COOs think about this stuff all the time with regards to investors and stakeholders and then the products. It's 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 a streamlined progress and development, you know, I'm sure almost annually, if not even, you know, sooner than that for most of these companies. Yeah, risk management is usually where that comes in, right, Scott? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to play devil's advocate a little bit here now. And there's, there's a train of thought, particularly within business, about 
if you have a backup plan, then you're accepting that your primary plan will fail, you know, and you should plan well enough for your primary plan to succeed. And, you know, I, I think it's always good to have a backup plan because things happen, you know, whether it be life in general, in business uh, or in combat in, in, in the military. You know, there's, there's always something that you haven't thought of can and inevitably will happen. And then it, you, you have to adjust that plan. And a backup plan can almost be an adjustment of the primary plan anyway. So it's uh, it, it's it's funny to, to look at both sides of it, I guess, and, and see both um, sides of the coin. I know that you actually had, Scott, now within the manufacturing side, uh, I would at least think that you do, called a failure mode effect analysis. Have you ever done one yeah. of those where you manage the risk? Yes. Yeah, you start yeah. looking at what, what are the things that could potentially uh, occur in what ways do we think we could at least mitigate the risk? How do we score it and its importance and stuff as a, as a risk itself? And after we mitigate it, what do we believe that that risk to go down in a level two, if we were to implement those things or after we implemented those things, what, what would they do? So it's kind of interesting that you guys do at least do a failure mode uh, effect analysis. And yet you also kind of look at it as, well, if you're starting to work on a backup plan, that means you've already thought that your primary might not work. And so that's not a good strategy. But any risk assessment, you know, whether it be an FMEA or a health and safety risk assessment, it's only good as the assessment team and the amount of ideas that you're throwing into the pot. Good point. You know, and there's, there's always that blindside event that can happen. And as, as, Many people, as you can get around the table and put your heads together and, and think of any eventuality, Murphy's Law will always be the one that catches you out, you know. So it's for me, a backup plan is, is always good to have in, in your back pocket. Yeah, when I start looking at the risk as far as the FMEA, I mean, typically you, you try to identify the risk, you analyze the risk, you evaluate or rank the risk, as I was mentioning, you treat the risk, and then you monitor and review the risk. It's sort of like in uh, Six Sigma, it's defined, measure, analyze, improve, and control. So you try to put those things in place in which you know you can have better controls in the future. And I think that's kind of goes back to what you were mentioning in the very beginning, Eric, about that the two is one and one is none, is that uh, you're trying to make sure that you're mitigating that risk and ensuring that you're going to deliver on whatever it is that you're supposed to do as part of the mission. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, you're, you're basically trying to set yourself up for the best possible uh, success. And in the event, just like how Scott was talking about, you know, Murphy starts throwing his wrenches into those spokes. You've, you've got something backing you up just in case that doesn't work. And I mean, it's a it's a pretty easy application, but sometimes we take it for granted. And I and I kind of recall uh, something that was told to me in uh, ASOT uh, many, many years ago was the fact that, you know, don't pretend like you knew something that you really didn't. You know, you may have had that in the back of your mind, but there, there's something to be learned in in regards to having some of these things set forth and putting into actual action. And you think about IT. I mean, IT is one of those areas where they always have a primary system and a backup server in case the primary goes down. And especially in a business community like we were talking about before, for that matter, even the military nowadays, if you don't have that type of system and that setup, um, then and your primary goes out, you're pretty much hosed at that point. And, it, and the way technology is now running everything that we do, I don't know that people remember how to do much without the technology on occasion. 
And it, that's extremely hilarious because I think about OIF3 and, you know, all it took for us to get out the wire was like a five W's via uh, our tough book or just a call up to uh, the Soda commander. And then fast forward, like not even, but like two and a half years uh, into Iraq, it was now, hey, you're going to need a, a PowerPoint presentation <laughs> that shows what the con op looks like. And then you need to write up the uh the uh, op word into a word doc and then oh by the way the 18 fox needs to send up his tip or the target interdiction packet and it, like it's just like all these different things and it's almost like you know it's awesome to have all this technology but at the same time it kind of cramps our style at times especially in the event that the uh the technology goes down i mean there's something mm. i mean gps and everything is great but there's something to be said about just taking out the compass and looking at a map oh no doubt i mean i i I just ran a ranger challenge back in this last fall over here at Camp Bullis and watching some of the cadets try to figure out, you know, how they were going to war game their uh, land nav course. It was rather humorous at times. I mean, there, there were some teams that were doing some good stuff out there, but there were a couple of teams that I caught, you know, trying to use their flashlights and stuff. And I'm like, Hey, why are we doing this? I thought we weren't supposed to. And like the cadets didn't even know I was in there. And this is like you know, 10, 11 o'clock at night. And uh, like, who is that? And I'm like, give me your score sheet. <laughs> You're done. <laughs> You're done. You're toast. Oh man, and and I mean, I didn't think about like stuff that I saw like that happen during selection, you know. There and because that was a big thing when we went through, because this was you know 2003 timeframe, right after the whole Jessica Lynch situation, and it it was truly interesting to see how. I mean, I was like kind of shocked at how much I learned uh, even further. But like some of the guys that had never really dealt with like trying to read a map or even read their compass at night. I mean, it was funny to watch people kind of be scared because, you know, you're doing movements that are sometimes almost 10, 15 miles in length because you can't really do point A to point B. It's like point A go around like some draws and some, you know, bodies of water. And yeah, so it, it was funny to see how people react uh, under those types of stressors and or can't deal without the uh, technology that coincides with like your phone or your gps or google maps technology can be a restrictor sometimes kind of it can take away the skill involved in in something you know particularly navigation and being able to interpret the features on a on a map you know being able to use your compass as opposed to just relying on your gps unit and typing in a set of coordinates and it telling you this is the way you've got to go and then when your batteries run out Everyone stood there looking at each other, thinking, well, "What do we do now? <laughs> Who's got the spare batteries?" And the the skill part of navigation is is lost, you know. So, it's it's an aid for me. Things, particularly GPS, is is should always be considered as an aid to navigation and not your primary function uh, within that skill set. Yeah, I remember I started off in uh, Fort uh, Polk, Louisiana, and of course, you know, if you've ever been at that installation, you're really like in the jungles. As a matter of fact, that was part of the precursor to a lot of guys before they went to Vietnam that they end up going to Fort Polk for that very reason to learn how to train. And so, you know, you go out there and you're you're learning how to read a map in a a very um, you know, a tight area with a lot of bushes and overgrowth and, and everything else. And then all of a sudden you go to a place like Fort Irwin where you're out in the middle of the desert and you're trying to figure out how far that hill is. You know, you've got it on your map and you're trying to isolate, okay, where am I in relation to this? And, and you think about those same types of things, though, in today that we've gotten so used to technology 
that we've forgotten how to go back to the basic part of it. So it's having that backup and that contingency as well. And what we're talking about, if you don't know how to go back and operate something without the computer, operate something without the GPS, there may come a time where you're going to be in a, a world of hurt. Yeah, it's funny. There's probably some 18 Echo SF combo guy out there going, why don't we learn Morse code anymore? <laughs> Morse code. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's only because he had to go through the pain, right? Oh man, I, I felt for those guys because they, they were still learning it back when I was going through. So yeah, that I, I did not envy that portion. Yeah, painful. I was like, just make sure my internet works. <laughs> <laughs> See, you're already doing it. Uh, but it's all about having that uh, the backup, and you know when <clears throat> you know we used to think of it in so many different ways. You know, when we were out there setting up ranges or whatever you were doing and um, like you were talking about in pace and those types of things. And and I don't, I think what's very interesting is that when a lot of folks are getting off active duty, all of these skill sets that we learned within the military and having these backup plans and having these contingencies and not going into a situation until we ride an operations order and we start evaluating what the situation is going to be and making sure that we understand enemy position, uh, the, the many different ways in which the enemy could come and attack us, whatever the case may be. We lay all of this stuff out so well. We walk out the door. We seem to think that we can fly by the seat of our pants without a plan. We don't have a backup plan in many cases in case the primary fails. We don't understand that how long maybe we should consider the primary plan before we go into fail safe into a secondary plan or whatever the case may be. And also discuss these types of things even with our family members who might be affected. Yeah. And I mean, that that's another point of view that, uh, you know, with regards to the veteran portion, I was going to kind of double back to is, you know, we, we as veterans have a hard time transitioning at times, I think, just because we think it has to be so different when we go into a uh, corporate America, as opposed to, or a corporate world, I should say, since we, you know, we're kind of talking this on a global level even, but, uh, you know, we can bring that camaraderie. We can bring these you know, feats as long as we're willing to do so. And if you, if you're willing to take it out of that, but uh, as you're talking about this too, with regards to family members, I mean, I'm dealing with like, you know, I've got teenage daughters now and I'm starting to, if you're at, you know, somebody's house and it gets weird or whatever, you type these numbers in and there'll be no questions asked. I'll show up at the door and I'll get you and we'll go. No, that's, that's really good stuff. Especially when you have daughters, uh, no doubt about it. You know, and, and in the li- in the life side of this, I mean, we talked a little bit about transition and business, but there's even things called life contingencies. It's a term used to really describe survival modes for human lives and resulting cash flows, start to stop contingent upon survival. So, you know, <clears throat> they start thinking about uh, <clears throat> shelter, uh, food, um, you know, do I have enough cash on hand to be able to survive if credit cards and systems and we have all of a sudden a breakdown into the electronics. What are the ways in which you're trying to prepare yourself to become better and that your family can support itself? Now, I'm not talking about go out and dig a necessarily a hole in the backyard and, and get your food and your cans, and, but there is a lot to be said about having some kind of backup contingency in terms of power, food, supplies, uh, sources, and stuff like that for your own personal life, as well as the things that we just talked about in terms of business and transition. I think it's kind of just teaching even our youth and and for me right now, I've been like just teaching my kids like, you know, hey, this is how you can make a fire, you know, in the event that, you know, we don't have any electricity or because, I mean, 
Colorado is usually filled with uh, electrical outlets for their uh, for their <laughs> stoves, unfortunately. Um, but I mean, like here's and here's how you know you can take care of like filtering some water. I mean, nobody really likes the whole you know using a sock thing, but you know if we look back into like some of the uh, survival manuals, you know a, a sock can filter out. I think it was something was it two hundred parts of like you know dirty water or whatever uh you know obviously you don't want to use like a sweaty sock and, unless it's scott's sock somebody i was gonna say yeah don't don't yeah. use scott's <laughs> somebody <laughs> on here is gonna be like oh he said you could you, you could use a sock uh, i took it off my feet there are some people that matter of fact maybe that's one of your backup things you do already is just go ahead and when people start removing their boots after a long ruck march and everything <clears throat> changing their socks you'll know the which which sock you do not want to use to purify your water with Oh, exactly. Well, he... holes you got in each sock. <laughs> the one with the least number of holes in it. <laughs> yeah, mine has big ones. What does that still this, work? This pebble is coming through. You. What's going on? <laughs> yeah. No, and, uh, but that brings up a good point because I mean, I, again, I was out with a, a separate uh, group of cadets a couple weeks ago, and uh, they got done doing a uh, movement, and they had been out for I think a little over twenty-four hours, and I was like, I came up to the. Uh, and the platoon sergeant i go hey you know when was the last time you guys changed socks and you know they were like looking at me like uh i was like you've got to make sure that your your cadets are doing this and you got to make sure that you're doing this i was like i realize you're looking at me like you're stupefied like why would i do that but or why wouldn't i have done that but i was like people don't and that's it extremely evident during ranger school obviously because you see guys get trench foot and all the other awesomeness but like, I, and then I was like, Hey, oh, you're going to need to have the medics come over and do a tick check. And I had one kid literally had 10 ticks on him already. And I'm like, oh when are you going to summer? Oh yeah. And I, like one of them was a little bit large. I was like, well, that little bug's been uh, feasting for a while. there, big guy. Goes, well, I'm, gl- I'm glad you made us do that. Master Sergeant. I was like, I know. <laughs> You know, back in the day, you know, when you had black boots, of course, you could see the white start coming out of the sides and know that you're losing body salt right then off the bat, you know, and it was like, okay, that's a dead giveaway, dude. You need to change your socks, you know, and you need to drink some more water. Oh, yeah. Those boots were awful awful too i hated those. <laughs> somebody and somebody else is going to be like oh those were the best boots i'm like i, I miss the jungle boots black honestly. jungle boots were the best yeah jungle, jungle boots, boots no doubt awesome. jungle awesome. boots were the best they were the, oh, yeah. the only problem was is if you had them over in germany and like i did and uh you know that still shank in the inside when it got cold yeah that that wasn't a smart move those were those were not the best boots well, I had a I had a buddy that went to CAG selection and decided to take those uh, the steel toes and stuff out, and he like turned his feet into hamburger because going down those hills in the Appalachians uh, not very very uh, fun. So he didn't have a backup plan, is what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and there's not exactly steel toed socks. Uh, yeah, no, that wouldn't be a good idea. Uh, but yeah, in, in terms of life contingencies as well, like we were talking about, I mean, it's trying to look after yourself, look after your family, those types of things, transition contingencies, <clears throat> business contingencies. What are some of the other things that, uh, a lot of people don't really think about when they start thinking about two is one and one is none. It's about simplification, I guess. And I would touched earlier on the, the May cycle, uh, in six Sigma and it, it's quite a complicated uh, as most things are in Six Sigma, but you know the the, the old plan, do, check, act cycle is a lot more simplistic in, in its term. And have your plan, do something, check what you've done, and then act on it. 
So make the necessary changes and then carry on with uh, the process. I, I think in military, in life, in business, that type of simplistic process, um, I, I think it's simple, uh, similar to the OODA loop that you guys have in, in the U.S. Yeah, I do remember that saying. Yeah, it's been a so, while since I've even used that. <laughs> I caught you out once I didn't know. Hmm. So, yeah, pl- right. plan, do, check, act. You know, if, if you stick to that type of... Um, process come up with your plan do something check what the the outcome was of that make it make your adjustments and then act on it you know and if you stick to those four things and it's it's, it's in a loop and you just keep going back back through it all and back through it all and you you won't go far wrong and it, it just breaks it down it's nice and simple you get your plan do something what was the outcome of that what do we need to change and then act on it and, and run with it you know Definitely. Then that's essentially kind of like the uh, whole TLP process with the Remicus, you know, receiving, initiating movement, making a plan and all that fun stuff. But yeah, exactly. And then um, what I was going to kind of say, too, is something even as simple as like, you know, your college degree that you're choosing. Like for me. Yeah. Uh, and, and and especially having gone from the realm of like talking to cadets as to like, you know, what what degree they were getting. I was like couple of the cadets were looking at philosophy. I was like, well, there's not exactly any theory factories out there, big guy. So, <laughs> I mean, unless you get a master's, really, you're not really going to, you know, ascertain much from that. And even from mine, I, you know, I went from, I was looking at a mathematics degree uh, for a while, which, I mean, can be lucrative in some aspects, but I just don't have the time to really apply because, uh, it requires, I feel like, a little bit more of a hands-on education. But uh, obviously, going into, um, I've done, I'm doing the uh, strategic studies and defense analysis, which is essentially an intelligence degree. And although I don't really want to do federal work after I'm done, I still have that ability based on my background or whatever. And then I'm following it up with like a an MBA is my plan. And so, uh, kind of what Scott was saying too is like you want to work the plan, not just or and not necessarily fight that plan as well too like you want you want you have to kind of adapt with it it sometimes it takes a hybrid mode or whatever you want to say i mean the mentors for military like right there you you need a mentor at times you know get get people that know like what to do and how to do it i've seen too often where people come out here and they don't really have that backup though they came out here and they had a primary they had an idea as they were whether it was they started off as an entrepreneur or they started off in the transition mode with an idea of what they wanted to do or what they wanted to be. And and too often, you know, I think I've shared this with you as well, Eric, is that there's not very many new ideas out there. There, Most of the new ideas come up and, and when they do, it, it's, a, it's a blockbuster type of thing. You know, so many people focus on if I can just steal somebody else's lunch money, if I can just take a portion of the marketplace, look how much, you know, how much money I would have or something of that nature but they don't do the due diligence to find that it's very saturated out there so by having the backup plan then you're assuring yourself that again you're going to land on your feet that means you got to build enough runway if you're going to go out there and start your business you're going to have to have enough income to be able to sustain yourself for that period of time you have to have enough income that if things don't go well that you have something to fall back on until something becomes available with the backup plan that you put into place at that point and so there's all types of things like that that you really have to consider that I don't know that a lot of people really think about and again I'm not talking about just transition at this point I'm talking about life career yeah uh, yeah, I, I completely agree because, I mean, uh, I think we talked about it 
as far as like, you know, therapists or psychologists, whatever you want to say, uh, that were graduating with a bachelor's degree, you know, initially were getting the jobs as like therapists, but that field became so saturated that they essentially ended up being kind of like the uh, front desk assistant or, you know, just kind of sitting there until they were able to work up to getting a, uh, a master's or a doctorate's level. And, and essentially it's like a doctorate's level because that field became so saturated. Well, even you mentioned MBA, there was a time frame, And when I, when I originally got my MBA, it was a, a period in which the MBAs weren't saturated um, it wasn't one of those things that was a rite of passage within the business community. It was more of one of those things that individuals who received one were considered more um, seasoned individuals that could really offer something within the organization and typically more along your director or, or senior level roles within a company. Today, though, it's almost one of these things where individuals stay within college after receiving a bachelor's degree to get a master's in business because they know that in many cases they won't be competitive in the marketplace because it's so saturated out there right now. And in the engineering field is where it really took off because so many engineers um, were focused on the manufacturing or engineering side of it. And they started realizing they didn't have the business acumen to be able to really run an organization and be effective in management roles. And so they started sending more and more engineers, industrial engineers and all of those into the MBA program. Once that started happening and others started seeing that, that influx, everybody started getting one. And like I said, now it's a saturated market. But you need it. It's, you know. ironic, it's ironic now that it's coming full circle and experience is almost becoming to be considered as good as a formal qualification. So people with 10 years management experience is more worthwhile sometimes. Well, not sometimes. Very often than somebody who's gone to college, gone straight on, done the, the MBA. Great, you've got this, this high-level qualification. But somebody who's been out in industry for 10 years, 15 years, and has got all this different breadth of experience is much more valuable to a business hitting the ground running than somebody who's got the theoretical side of it. So experience and qualification, it's it's a juggling act. And it's becoming more um, common these days to for people to be selected on roles based on experience as opposed to which diploma, degree, masters they've got it's so funny that you say that because it's um you know if you stick around long enough you're right it's going to come back around it's sort of like those old you know nasty uh, jeans or uh, shoes or whatever that you stow away just just keep them don't give them away or anything because i guarantee you those things are going to come back and it's so it you're absolutely right where people start looking at the experience and saying listen i would almost rather have somebody with that level of experience that can hit the ground running than i would to try to take somebody that i have to spend so much time in trying to teach them the industry um, aspects of it. But make no mistake, though, and Scott, I think you would agree with this as well, that if you don't have the education, that you may not be able to go so high within those levels. So it's one of those things at some point you've got to start working on the education while you're working on uh, the experience at the same time frame. So that way, if it comes back around, you've got both. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think it, it almost becomes a, a, a stepping stone, doesn't it? So you can you can get so far with one, but then you need the other one. And then you can get so far without one, and then you need to get them both. And, you know, to, like you said, Robert, to, to get to realistically the, the top of uh, the tree within business, then you, you more likely 
will need X amount of experience, but also some form of qualification to, to quantify uh, your learning as well. You know, and I think what you're describing too, Eric, though, is that contingency plan in the event that, you know, hey, listen, I got my MBA. If I want to go the entrepreneur route or I want to go the corporate America or corporate world route in the private sector, I have the opportunity to do that. But if things don't work out and I need to have a fallback, my fallback could be I could go into some kind of contract work. I can end up working for the government in some capacity uh, because of my skills and training that will match more quickly with those types of trades. Yeah, most definitely. And then, I mean, like one of the things that I experienced a lot of times with uh, some of the cadets was always like coming up to me and be like, Master, and I'm thinking about going and, you know, becoming an enlisted guy and going to selection. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I was like, personally, I was like this. It's taken me almost 10 years to get a bachelor's degree due to the fact that I've been on so many deployments. And I was like, I was like, you're going to come out of here and you'll already have that bachelor's degree ready to go. So in the event that, you know, heaven forbid and knock on wood, you get hurt or, you know, something happens that you have to leave the military or that you decide to leave the military even you've already got that backup plan ready to go for yourself. And I was like, secondly, most of the cadets that I had going through the uh, university were even getting paid to go to school almost because they were being smart about, you know, how that they, how they uh, accounted for and managed their money. And I was like, how cool is that? And cause I mean, I, I reflect on a, uh, I had a PL when I was in uh, the 82nd that had tried to guide me to go to West Point. And of course, as a young E3, I was like, oh, I already know this. I'm not doing four years of basic training again. And I mean, in retrospect, had I realized how valuable having like a West Point degree uh, would have been. I mean, don't get me wrong. I've loved being an enlisted guy and, you know, I made it through the ranks pretty quickly, but it's almost the equivalent of having an Ivy League style of education, first off, and then second. I mean, there's there's some pretty decent networks within uh, that realm just as well. For most of us, as far as like transitioning members and or veterans just in general, uh, the, the best way that we can, you know, shed light on the uh, whole two is one and one is none thing is, you know, as simple as something like, you know, you go into a meeting and, you know, typically we have two pins on us. And in the event that somebody forgets it, you know, now that one person that forgot it, you can help them out. Or, you know, even bigger is the fact that life happens, just like Scott and you have talked about. And, you know, if for some reason plan X fails as far as like, you know, if I'm an entrepreneur and, you know, my business is going under, I now can move into a career because, hey, I, I set myself up for success by having, you know, college degree. Why? We've used so many different things here within this podcast, you know, as uh, different tools that you can think about. I mean, we've talked about pace. We've talked about two is one and one is none. And we've talked about having those contingencies plans, failure mode effect analysis, all of those tools that you've had within your toolbox, either within the private sector or while you were in uh, active duty. And so just don't forget those things. Apply those same skills to your life and the things that you're starting to do and making decisions. And I think you'll end up a whole lot better in the end. Most definitely. Eric, thanks for coming on the uh, the podcast, man. I really appreciate it. Hey, thanks, Robert. I, I appreciate the invitation. And it's nice to... Uh get to hang out and chat with you guys and hopefully shed some light for some other members of the military and those, uh, no, not members. Well, in this case, I don't think you'll be a one and done. So, uh, what were they saying being, I guess, uh, we've got a backup here. It'll be another one. Uh, hey, I, I look forward to it. All right, man. Take care. Thank you for listening to our podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, 
Instagram, and at Facebook by searching at Mentors, the number four M-I-L, and please subscribe to our podcast. It's free, and it ensures you're the first to hear our latest podcast show. We have several options depending upon your device, and we're at iTunes, SoundCloud, at Stitcher, and at TuneIn Radio. Hey everyone, Robert here. I love supporting veteran-owned companies, and Mentors for Military recently partnered with Skeleton Optics to offer a 10% discount to our listeners. That's right, 10%. These aren't your regular run-of-the-mill sunglasses, by the way. The frames are handcrafted in Italy with Zeiss Vision lenses. Use the code mentors for mil or mentors the number 4 mil at SkeletonOptics.com, and you'll receive your 10% discount automatically at checkout. Hurry up and get on over there to support a veteran-owned company.